born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Tonight, take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts and chapter 9. Acts and chapter 9. We now hear once again about the Apostle Peter. As you know, there was an insert of the Apostle Paul, his testimony of how he came to know Christ as his Savior. So that will be covered again in uh, chapter 11. We start hearing a little bit more about the Apostle Paul. But in all of these cases, you'll find out that it's just one soul-winning story after another. Now, when Jesus Christ was here, it says in the book of John that these miracles and signs that were listed in the book of John were listed in order to convince people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that by believing in him, we may have life through his name. It's not all of the things that he did. He said there's no book that can contain all that he did. So I've often wondered, boy, wouldn't it have been great to know all the other stuff that, you know, that not even told us. But he says it was done so that people would believe the message. The message is what's so important. And miracles were given in order to, you know, get people to believe what God said is true, to validate it. So even in, with the apostles, it was to validate the message. And the key of validating the message is to get people to believe the message. Because if a person doesn't believe it, there's no power there. There's power when you believe it. It can save you and give you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven on what Christ did for you. So even here, we have a story about two individuals. Uh, one a man and one a woman. Uh, one that uh, was, uh, you know, a person that was... Uh, sick of the palsy, and the other one was dead. And both required a miracle. And if it's really of the Lord, it's no harder for the Lord to raise a person from the dead as if he can cure a person of the palsy. So either one of them takes a miracle of God. So there's two miracles listed here. But the purpose of these miracles was for the same reason. You'll see what he says there in uh, verse 35. And all that dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That's the purpose of the healing that was done. If you've ever watched any of these so-called healers on television, 
They never do it in order to preach the gospel, to get people to believe on Christ. It's always to get more money out of the people. And so if you have a lot of faith, give a lot of money, and more things will happen. And so they, they do it for the money. But you'll notice that when it makes the statement here, that when the miracle was done, it says there in verse 34, And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Peter didn't make anybody well. Peter didn't have power to do anything. Jesus Christ does. And he may work through people. And then if you'll look all the way down there into verse 42, it mentions this, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So whether it was someone being healed or someone being raised from the dead, the purpose was that people would turn to the Lord and believe on Him for the free gift of eternal life. So look there in verse 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, in Greek, it's just Luda, but Lydda is our way of pronouncing that. And it's a city that they used to call the city of Jupiter because they had a great big monument and statue and they worshiped the Jupiter God. And so you have right there a, a problem where people did not know and believe all the truth. But there were some saints there. And we know that sooner or later the word saint has to be applied because later on in the books you'll find out that God refers to the saints an awful lot. So he says there were saints that were in this city and dwelt there. And so it was 10 or 12 miles from the place called Joppa. And of course you've heard of Joppa before because remember there was a, oh, a prophet by the name of Jonah who was going to run away from the Lord and uh, going to go to Tarshish. So he went to Joppa. And uh, this is a seacoast town. And so they were on the, the seacoast and you have these stories that talks about Peter now living in a place called Joppa. And he goes down there and talks about uh, he was in a place where Simon the Tanner, see down in verse 43, it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner. And this is where he was when the story of Cornelius unfolds. So a lot of good stories that are woven throughout the book of Acts. It's just one act of the Holy Spirit after another and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of God's people. This is really the way it ought to be in our own lives. One experience after the other. And what makes our lives so important is that we have one event and a little time may pass and then something else wonderful happens. I don't know if we could take too much all at one time. Remember, we just stopped talking about the Apostle Paul. He just had a great experience where he was uh, running for his life. 
Remember I said he was a basket case. Uh, James was in the office earlier this morning. We was talking about he was a basket case. And he said, yeah, but he was basket case number two. Moses was the first basket case in the Old Testament. Now we have a basket case in the New Testament. But from this time when he stops here, the Apostle Paul, and he is sent on his way, we don't hear from the Apostle Paul for almost five years. Almost five years later. So, and then that's not until you get into the book of Acts in chapter 11, around 21, somewhere through there. But it's, it's in another, another book. And uh, I believe that if you uh, look over there when it says, what's well, chapter 13, verses 1, and it starts talking about that, but it's also just mentioned very briefly about the Paul and Barnabas as they begin a new ministry. And so Barnabas is one who is an exhortator, exhorting, challenging, a comforter, one who came alongside to help the Apostle Paul in the hour of need because nobody wanted anything to do with Paul. So Peter, he was well known. And Peter was always usually open in his mouth and putting his foot in it. Now he seems to have his act together. He is disciplined. God is using him. He's been blessed. And God has opened up doors for him. And he will be the one that will actually be the first to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But before he gets to chapter 10, he's finishing up here in chapter 9. And it's talking about how the apostle Peter is used by the Lord to bring healing to a town. And what is so interesting, if you look in verse 35, look at the word all. The word all. Is it possible that everybody in this town, and no doubt it was maybe a small town, a small town, but it said, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, is that all of them? It says all. But down in the other verse, in verse 42, it says many. It doesn't say all. It just says many. But it's a wonderful thing to know that they were doing the work of an evangelist. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're singing the choir, you're the pastor of the church, you're a deacon or an elder or whatever you are. Everybody should do the work of an evangelist. Because that is simply telling people the good news. Now, there's some people that just make that, that's their goal, that's their mission, that's what they do. I travel on the road different times in my Christian life for several years here and several years there and several years at another time. I was doing it back in 80. I was doing it back in 68, going to camps and all that. But you see, everyone should know how to tell someone how to have eternal life. It's just soul winning. And that's the purpose of it. But you'll notice it says there in verse 33, he was sick for eight years and was sick of the palsy. Now, in the Greek, his name meant Hananiah. And so when he talks about he was sick of the palsy, uh, usually they're talking about that he was loose on one side. It means that they had no control 
of one side or the other. Similar like what people today can have a stroke. But sick of the palsy means that they were, they were not only feeble, they were helpless and they were paralyzed. And they can't do anything for themselves in that sense. But the Lord was able to take Peter and use him. There was a time when the Lord had said to him, I'm going to pray for you that when thou art converted, then you may strengthen the brethren. And so he was used by the Lord in a great way, not only to reach new people, but to strengthen those that were already saved. See, this is um, the balance in the Christian life. Uh, Charles Ryrie wrote a book years ago called Balancing the Christian Life. Anybody ever heard of that book? Oh, a bunch of you have. Balancing the Christian Life. Because, see, you're not to get unbalanced and just, I'm just going to be a soul winner. Well, that's good to be a soul winner. But that's not a good balance. Balance is I want to win new people to Christ, but then I also want to train people. So you win them so that you can train them to win them, so that you can train them. So that's why every ministry, there should be soul winning ministries and also training ministries. We don't always just have one little hobby horse and that's all we ride. We want to have a balance in our Christian life. Concerning you as an individual, you also need to have a balance in your Christian life. If you're not balanced, you will lean to one side and you can go into circles. But you need to be balanced. That means that you need to spend time with the Lord and feeding yourself and getting strong. But if you just always talk to people about the Lord, but you never let the Lord talk to you, then you're going to be out of balance. You won't have the energy or the strength to keep going. So you've got to get that balance in the Christian life. Now, if you can keep that straight, it can help you tremendously. But if you get out of sync, you're not going to stay strong very long. Now, look what he says here in verse 36. Tabitha, now there was at Joppa, and this was a principal seaport there in Palestine. He said, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, now, I know a few dorks in my life, but this is not the same thing. Dorcas is the same word as Tabitha, but it's just a little bit different. One is Greek, and Tabitha is the Hebrew. But uh, the word Dorcas is also the word they use for gazelle. It's a gazelle. That's an animal. Yeah, it's a, uh, a female, you know, uh, a doe, a female deer. Now, in the Middle East, they would a lot of time use you know, an animal that could describe a woman. And um, a gazelle was a very sleek, trim, beautiful animal. And so I guess a woman could be looked upon as having a very beautiful appearance. And so a woman can have a, you know, the beautiful eyes, the sleek body. And so evidently she was a, a beautiful woman. I don't know, but this is what, you know, people say, and this is what the word's supposed to mean. Now, in Romans in chapter 1, I want you just to hold your place right here and just look over there in Romans in chapter 1. And you'll notice it talks about the saints. See there in verse 7? 
Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I understand that we are saints in the Lord. And this is why when Peter came down there to Lydda, it says that he came down also to the saints. They hadn't died yet, and Peter hadn't declared them as the Pope of Rome. He hadn't declared them, well, they're going to have to go through this and this and this and this and this, and we're going to make him a saint someday. No, I am already a saint. Peter says these were saints. And as you read the scriptures, you'll find out that this is what happened. Look in Romans in chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And look in verse 26. Verse 26. It says in verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are present tense, are at Jerusalem. Means that they were there at this time, and they were saints, and not all saints are rich. There were some poor saints. Did you ever think, you know, I'd love to be like those people in the New Testament times. I'd like to be there and live like they were, you know, at the first century of the church. They had poor saints back then. Would you want to be one of them? And make sure that you understand, look in chapter 16, in verse 1 and 2, where it says, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincera, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. Now, where it has as becometh saints, you ought to underline that. There are other scriptures that talks about as becometh the gospel as becometh a saint, as becometh a children or a child of light. So, because I have been declared by God to be a saint, I should live as becoming a saint. As the name implies, this is what you are. This is how you and I are supposed to live. Uh, while we're right there, look in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. You'll notice what he says here. In verse 1, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, all the saints. So that's why in a church we believe there's elders and there's deacons and there's all the saints. So, in God's family, that's what we are. And the word is hagio, H-A-G-I-O, or S on the end of hagios. But that word means to be made pure and holy and set apart. So, because we have been made pure and holy and set apart, we are called saints. And we're saints now. And this is why here in the book of Acts, to begin with, when we find this word as a reference to the saints, we know that it follows through with the rest of Scripture. There's a thing called, and you learn this in hermeneutics, the art of biblical interpretation, the first mention principle. And so 
one of the days we'll get into some of that. All right, go back there to the book of Acts in chapter 9. Look there in verse 36 where it says, This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. Now, usually alms is what you give to the poor. Alms. You ever hear where they had the, the poor folks and the alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor? And so you would give. She would do this and help meet the needs of the needy. But the good works, this goes, I believe, even deeper because it's a reference to where you see in the scriptures in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, where God says he is not unrighteous to forget your work of love and your labor and so forth. There's things that God wants us to do for him. And it says in the book of Titus in chapter 3 that we are to maintain good works for they are good and profitable unto men. So here when we talk about this, look in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter in chapter 2. 1 Peter and chapter 2. And look in verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. There's two verses here that you need to see. You do not do good works to get to heaven. But this lady, Dorcas, Tabitha, was known for her good works. But does her good works save her? No. No one is saved by their works. But because we are saved, we should maintain good works. And as he says here in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Now, if it was automatic, why would you have to have the scriptures admonishing us, challenging us, exhorting us? to abstain if it was an automatic thing. You see, there's those who teach that you must make Christ the Lord and the master of your life. And so when you really get saved, if you're really saved, you're not going to want to go out here and do all these bad things. You're going to love the Lord and do right and go to church and study the Bible. You're going to automatically do all those things. Then what's this verse doing here? If it's automatic. Well, it's not automatic. And people don't always do what they should do. They don't always live abstaining from the flesh. Sometimes God's children who are saints in the Lord and been made pure and holy don't live like they're pure and holy. But in God's eyes, they are pure and holy because they're found in Christ. So when God looks at you and God looks at me, he sees the Son. He is my righteousness. He is my salvation. I have been found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God, by my faith in what Christ did for me. Now, look what he says here in verse 12. Having your conversation or your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by and you ought to underline this, your good works, your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation. You know, when Jesus came the first time, it says in the book of Luke, chapter 19, it says, 
that the temple would be destroyed because thou knewest not the day of thy visitation. When God came the first time to visit the earth. Isn't that something? God told us, hey, I'm coming from out of space. I'm coming to the earth, and here's how I'm going to come. It's going to be this great big glowing spaceship. And when I get off this spaceship, I'm going to have on this suit. So you'll recognize me. And I'll have antennas coming out of my head. No. He says, I'm coming, but I'm going to be born in a, a little manger in Bethlehem, Ephrata. I'm going to be coming to this nation and this tribe and of this family at this time. And you'll know it's me. And they didn't recognize him. And that's why all the way through his life, is this the son of God? Is this God in the flesh? And he was. But whenever he comes the next time, you may not know or think so that the people who see and watch you now, and even though they may ridicule and say all kinds of evil, when they see your good works, there's a day coming when they're going to realize they were wrong and you were right. So don't worry about what people say or don't say. You just know that as a child of God, I want to maintain good works for testimony's sake. But I want to please my Heavenly Father and do the things that God wants me to do. Now, this is why you and I are supposed to do all these wonderful good works and so forth. Look there in the book of Acts in chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Acts 24, and look in verse 16. 24 and verse 16. You and I are commanded by Scripture to have a good conscience, a clear conscience. And so he says here in verse 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have, and you ought to underline this, always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, we may, by our life, what we say or do, be offensive to some people. But our conscience ought to be clear that we don't offend people just for the sake of offending, for the purpose to offend. But between me and God, and between you and God, and you and others, and me and others, we ought to try to live in such a way that our conscience is clear that I tried my best to wrong no man or to sin against God. And if you do wrong a man, you own up to it and say, look, I was wrong, I apologize, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So that your own conscience can be clear. See, God's interested not only in what you say and what you do, but your conscience. Did you know you're not to allow your conscience to be your guide? unless your conscience has been trained by the truth of the Word of God. If you study the Word of God and put God's Word into your mind, it will convict you of the things that are wrong. And yes, then your conscience can help guide you because of right and wrong. But your mind has to be infiltrated with the truth of the Word of God so that you can make those kinds of judgment, those decisions, so that your mind is clear. And when you wrong somebody, 
You can talk to the Lord and you clean your conscience. This is 1 John 1, 9. And when he says that if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, our conscience, from the guilt that we have. And if you don't do that, then guilt becomes a weight like a yoke of iron upon your neck until it destroys you. And not a lot of people never, never learn from some of these things. Telling someone how to go to heaven is the greatest thing we can do in this life. To prepare you, Pastor Yankee Arnold is offering you his book, Gospel Driven Man, absolutely free. Gospel Driven Man explains in simple steps how to successfully share the gospel. To get your free copy of Gospel Driven Man, write to Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Or email Yankee Arnold at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.